a very happy Easter to all of you, and it's hard not to think back uh, on the year that we have had, uh, and I am thinking a lot about last Easter. Uh, we were just getting started uh, within the uh, pandemic. We really didn't know uh, what we were getting into now. If we had known now what we uh, known then what we know now, uh, who knows what we would have been thinking. Uh, but it is truly a, uh, a joyous thing uh, to have you all in this place on this Easter morning. So a very happy Easter it is for us uh, indeed to be together. Uh, I don't want to uh, destroy or ruin the surprise, but um, I want to start out with uh, talking to the children and to the children of all ages by saying that uh, you will today, if you have not already, receive a very special Easter gift uh, from our diaconate, bless you, um, and uh, uh, it is a, I don't want to ruin the surprise, but I'm going to do it anyway, uh, it, is, it is an olive cross, it is an olive wood cross, uh, and I want to talk a little bit about the fact that it is an olive wood cross, because I think that that is significant. First, um, this, this olive wood comes from the Holy Land. It comes from a lot of the area around Jerusalem and uh, uh, Bethlehem especially. Um, growing olives is a very significant economic activity. It's a very important uh, source of income and, and livelihood for, for many people there. So olive trees are very rarely cut down, uh, which means that the wood that is used is harvested either from trees that have kind of fallen down or from branches. You do not want to cut down a healthy olive tree uh, if you can help it. So this wood is somewhat rare and precious in addition to being very uh, beautiful and fragrant to work with. Uh, the second thing is that um, the olive branch is a symbol of victory. Uh, you know, in days of old, olive crowns, uh, laurel crowns were given to those who uh, won a race or uh, were, were victorious in some ac uh, athletic endeavor. Uh, so it's a symbol of victory. Olive branches are all also a symbol of peace. You, you know, famously probably remember that uh, when Noah was on the ark, he's, the dove came with an olive branch in its beak. Uh, it was a symbol that um, the, the trial was about to be over, that peace was about to break out. Uh, so the olive branch is a symbol of peace. Um, and today it's also a symbol of love. It's a symbol of shared mission because the deacons, your elected officers here at the church, um, the spiritual leaders that you chose um, to, to lead us, wanted to do something out of love and a sense of shared mission and ministry for you. So it's a symbol of that new commandment that Jesus gave on Maundy Thursday, which the last time we gathered in this sanctuary as a congregation, we talked about that new commandment. You shall love one another just as I have loved you, so shall you love one another. So uh, the olive wood is a symbol uh, that is rare, that is a symbol of victory. It's a symbol of peace. It's a symbol of love. Um, and so is the cross. The cross is a symbol of all of those things, a rare and precious gift, victory over death, victory over the grave, uh, a sense of peace that is given to those uh, who don't necessarily deserve it, uh, but are so loved by God 
that we are given this great gift. So there's a lot of meaning packed into this little gift, and so I hope you will take it away as a memento, a reminder not only of the Easter that we have shared, uh, but the love and ministry that we share together. I think I just heard one hit the ground. Anyway, so I invite you now as we turn to the word on this Easter Sunday, um, I invite you to join your hearts with mine as we, as we pray that God would open the scriptures to us. Let us pray together. Oh Lord, the tomb is empty and the power of your life is unleashed on the world, but there is so much we cannot comprehend, so many things that we struggle to understand. So as we open your word on this holy Easter morning, we pray that you will speak to us from the depths, from the heights, from the fullness of your wisdom. Open your mysteries to us so that we might be drawn closer to you and walk in greater harmony with your risen son, in whose name we pray, amen. Our Old Testament reading this morning comes from the prophet Isaiah, the 25th chapter, verses 6 through 9. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wines, of rich food filled with marrow, of well-aged wines strained clear. And he will destroy on this mountain the shroud that is cast over all peoples, the sheet that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. Then the Lord God will wipe away the tears from all faces, and the disgrace of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Lo, this is our God. We have waited for him so that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. And from the New Testament this morning, our gospel lesson comes from Mark, the 16th chapter, verses 1 through 8. Uh, This is Mark's version of the story of the empty tomb. So listen now for these words of God to the church on this Easter morning. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? And when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is the place they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. So they went out and fled from the tomb for terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing 
to anyone, for they were afraid. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So some of you, maybe many of you, are old enough to remember the movie Clue, the 1985 film version of the Parker Brothers uh, board game. Uh, It was kind of a flop, to be honest, at the box office, but it still pops up every now and then, thanks to a small but very passionate cult following. And the director of the movie, John Landis, Loved the game, he loved the idea of making a movie out of the game, but he ran into a problem pretty quickly. He did not have an ending. He did not have a solution to the mystery. He wanted to write a whodunit movie, but he couldn't figure out who done it or even how they'd done it. And I went to the point when the butler said, I'm going to explain what happened, Landis said, and I just couldn't figure it out. I set up a crime that I could not solve. In short, he had a movie, but he had no ending. So Landis went out, he hired the best writers he could find. Even the famous playwright Tom Stoppard worked on the script, but it wasn't long before he gave up too. He kept talking to as many people as he could, and finally Landis landed on something that he thought might work, but even then he knew he did not have a blockbuster Hollywood ending. He had three. And just like the game of Clue, Landis's movie had a number of possible endings and outcomes, and so you might actually recall this, Landis decided to release the movie in three different versions, with three different endings. And even the theaters wouldn't know which version of the movie they were getting. So the ending of the movie would always be a surprise to the audiences. And in the version that he released on VHS, you know, the one that we would have picked up at Blockbuster, I definitely did that. All three of the endings were included on the tape. They were tacked on at the end with those old-fashioned black text boxes that they used to use in silent movies with the the white old-timey lettering on them. And it said, that's how it could have happened. And then the screen would switch and said, but how about this? And then the next alternative ending would play. So long story short, at the box office, it did not work. Audiences did not get excited wondering about which ending they would get, nor did the people who actually went and paid to see the movie, they did not go out and pay two more times to see the other two endings. Most people just kind of shrugged their shoulders and picked another movie, one that did not require so much of them. So you're probably asking at this point, what does any of this have to do with Easter Sunday? In fact, the story of Clue the movie is not all that different from Mark's version of the Easter story in one key respect. Mark had a great story to tell. But when it came to Easter, when it came to the end, he had trouble with the ending. Mark has been building suspense with what many call the messianic secret, And that is, to the people in the story, the true nature and identity of Jesus 
was a big mystery throughout the book. And again and again, as Jesus would show a bit of his divinity, when he would reveal a bit of himself, he would say to the spirits or the demons or the disciples or the people on the way, shh, don't tell anyone about me. Don't tell anyone what you've seen or who I am. So as the story progresses, the suspense builds, and we wonder, are these characters going to figure out who Jesus really is, that he's about to be revealed, and you get to the point where the butler's about to say, okay, this is what happened. But then you ran into the problem with the ending. And Mark's problem with the ending was that he didn't have one. Now, I know I need to explain this a little bit more, and to do that, I'll have to get into the specifics of the original Greek text of Mark's gospel. It's an almost universal belief among New Testament scholars that the original version of Mark's gospel ended at verse 8 of the 16th chapter. That is where the oldest and most reliable scrolls and manuscripts ended. And if that's true, if verse 8 was the original ending, and most people agree that it was, that means that the last words of Mark's story of Jesus would have been, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid, period. Now, suffice it to say, this ending did not test well uh, with original church audiences. They flat out did not like it. And who can blame them? How can you build a church when the last word is fear? How can you start a movement when the original movers just ran home, closed the door, and kept their mouths shut? What kind of resolution is that? Something else must have happened. There has to be more to the story. So sometime around the second century, the church did something about this. They added a new ending. They tacked on some new material. And what was added was more of a true Hollywood ending. In the 12 additional verses that were added later, Jesus makes appearances to the disciples. Jesus gives clear instructions. Jesus predicts miracles that they would see and experience. And perhaps most importantly, the believers start talking and they start acting. In this new ending, the words of wrapping up were much more popular. These are the final words that we now have in Mark's gospel. And they went out and proclaimed the good news everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by signs that accompanied it. Now, this is something that church audiences could really get behind. Dr. Brian Blunt, the president of Union Presbyterian Seminary. He's a world-class New Testament scholar, especially on the Gospel of Mark. He refers to our desire and need to have neat and tidy resolutions for mysteries as the Walt Disney effect. We do not like ambiguous, 
uncertain endings, he says. We want clear, slam-dunk kinds of endings. We want to know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that Cinderella and Prince Charming not only get together, but they do, in fact, live happily ever after. And this, I think, is especially true for us on Easter Sunday. When we come to hear the story of the empty tomb, we do not want to end with fear or failure or people running away from the truth. We want to hear about Christ's victory. As Christian people, we fear that if we cannot find a victory on Easter morning, then we may never be able to find one, ever. But here's the thing. Mark was a masterful storyteller. So Mark had to know this. Mark had to have known that this story could not possibly end with the disciples running away, hiding in fear, telling no one about anything. From where we sit today, we know that that could not have been the end of the story. Because if it was the original ending and the real ending of the story, we would not be here this morning. Somebody started talking. At some point, the disciples got their act together. They picked themselves up, they dusted themselves off, they unlocked the door, they went out, and they got busy being the church of Jesus Christ. So why didn't Mark give us that ending? Why didn't Mark give us the Disney ending? Again, Brian Blunt and others have a theory on this. They believe, and I think I agree with them, that Mark closes or closed his story of Jesus this way because he knows it was not the end then and it will not be the end later. It cannot be the end now. As women run from the tomb, Mark leaves us hanging in that unresolved moment because Mark knows that from this point, the story could end any number of ways. At this point, the story can go in a number of different directions. So Mark leaves it to us to finish the story. Mark knows that the last word of the Jesus narrative cannot be fear. But what happens next is really up to the disciples to decide. We can run away in fear. We can bury our anxieties in silence. We can lock ourselves in our homes. Or we can choose faith. We can choose to bear witness to what we have seen and felt and heard and known. Mark believes that if there is to be a resolution of the story of Christ, it is to be written by the people standing in the Easter morning light. Somehow, they will have to find a way to write the ending in their own way and in their own lives. All of the pieces are there if we are willing to see them. 
The important clues have all been revealed. The disciples watched Christ live a sin-free life. They knew he was unlike any person who had ever lived. They watched him offer healing to those who hurt, food to those who hungered, living water to those who were thirsty. And right up to the end, they saw him remain faithful and obedient to God, even as he walked through dark valleys of betrayal, abandonment, false accusations, libel, slander, public humiliation, torture, and the cruelest death humanity could envision, a death reserved for the vilest criminals. And his story could have ended there. In fact, most people thought that they had seen the last and heard the last of Jesus of Nazareth when that stone slammed shut over that door. But then, just as all seemed to be lost, the tomb on Easter morning is found empty. There is a final and completely unexpected twist to the story, and suddenly some new endings are possible. Was the body stolen? Are we at the right tomb? Are we losing our minds? Or could it be true? Didn't Jesus say that he would die, but that in three days he would rise again? I think I remember hearing him say that. But if that's true, then we are dealing with a power that is far greater than we first thought. If that is true, what does that mean for me? See, Mark is a masterful storyteller. And a masterful storyteller would know that the story he is telling is far from over. So Mark leaves us with a cliffhanger. The sequel, the next chapter, is yet to be written. That mystery is still playing out in your life and in my life. And we have been given signs and clues, miraculous signs and clues, but the ultimate resolution waits for us. And like those original disciples, we can choose to do nothing. Once again today, we can walk away from the tomb. And maybe it's about fear. Fear of what God might require of us if we really dare to believe, if we dare to witness, if we dare to tell the story with our own lives. Or maybe it's just disinterest, that other things just seem more important. Whatever the reason, we can choose even today to go home shut the door, and go about our lives as if none of it really happened. And that's how it could have happened. But how about this? We could hear the story again this morning and go a different way. We could decide to stop running and commit ourselves. We could lay fear aside and dare to follow the example of Christ. We could say the things that need to be said. 
We could defend the people who need to be defended. We could work for healing in a world that needs a healing touch. We can write a new ending, and it might go something like this. And they went out and proclaimed the good news everywhere. While the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by signs that accompanied it. In days of old, that is how it happened. What kind of ending will we write? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.